What's happening, troops? Welcome back to another episode of A Little House in the Prairie podcast. Uh, this week we have episode 12, and this one is a very special one. Uh, this week we're joined by Toronto DJ and producer DJF Sharp. This has been a few weeks that we've been trying to get this sorted, and I'm so happy to finally get to sit down and do this podcast with him. Welcome, Sam. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Charles. Yeah, no problem at all. It's my pleasure. Um, it's been a few weeks back and forth here trying to get something arranged and then uh, we get held up with me getting COVID there for a while and I'm happy to finally sit down and be able to speak to you here because it's been a long time coming. It's good to see you and meet you happy and healthy on the other side of uh, COVID. How was it? How was it it for you? It was a rough go. I mean, uh, a few days kind of sucked, but uh, luckily I didn't get hit too bad and after maybe two or three days I started to brighten up a little bit and found my energy again and was back at it but it just it does take it out of you it takes a few weeks to kind of fully recover um my parents were struggling quite a bit with it but for me luckily it wasn't so bad and you got it from your parents yep they brought it home your dirty stop out parents going all these illegal raves under the bridge must have been they must have been and, it, and my stepdad was still working, like his job, he's kind of got to be out and uh, like still at work in the office. So it was just a matter of time. I was kind of surprised it took so long for it to happen. But um, luckily, everyone's all right. And uh, it passed pretty quickly. And now things are starting to look look good here in Saskatchewan. And things are starting to get a little bit less restricted and looking at opening up in the coming months here. So light at the end of the tunnel yeah definitely i think uh i think everybody just wants to be back on a dance floor and enjoying themselves and instead of being stuck at home and trying to make do i mean it's not just it's just not the same is it i'd love to be back on one end of the dance floor (laughs) yeah wow i think it's a little bit different for for the ones on the dance floor to yourselves i mean it's been a tough time for uh, everyone in the music industry and I guess we've kind of been lucky enough that a lot of the work that we do is uh, like digital based and we can put on shows on uh, places like Twitch and uh, online and YouTube videos and things like that and we're not just limited to being stuck at home and not being able to get together for practices, right? It's been a year of growth and learning (laughs) to say the least. Yeah, I know a few people that uh, that tried turning to the, the online alternatives, but it took them a, a while to get the hang of things and maybe not the most technically gifted people. They're more uh, old school in that sense, but it's been been promising for everyone that's managed to get involved and I think everybody's found a way to make it work uh, until now. So hopefully everything, everything goes back to as it was and we can get back to doing what we do. Yeah. I think uh, either you're rocking out or you're rusting out. And so, especially now, like when we were kids, we had to like wait for the paycheck and then finally that signed it. And then you have to go to the bank and then hockey check some guy into the boards at the record store to get the last European import. And like now it's, it's all digital and online. There's no reason why you can't teach yourself anything. Like, how to sew your pants back together after you dance too hard or whatever, whatever, like anything you want to learn if you're autodidactic. So it's kind of a really exciting time to be any type of entertainer, um, especially as a DJ, when you can play video or vinyl or anything you want. Um, whereas coming up that we didn't, you sometimes needed those limitations to give more soul and more fire 
in uh in wanting to throw a party or make a record or whatever yeah definitely i think uh, back then it was a lot more limited in terms of opportunity where you had to kind of be in the know or get to know the people who were putting on the events or uh like who had gear to be able to practice on and it wasn't as easy access as it is today i mean today you go on uh, places like youtube and uh online there's tutorials everywhere everyone's doing dj courses learn to beat match learn to uh, different techniques and mixing and everything else so like it's it's definitely there's no excuses now and i think uh, the big learning curve for everyone was just uh, having a little bit of the confidence to to go and put themselves in front of the camera because i need i know even for me starting Starting this was a big thing for me. I'm not the most social media person. I I'm, I don't really like being in front of a camera, so it was a big learning curve uh, sitting here and kind of shaking the nerves. Uh, definitely the first few episodes uh, was a bit of a struggle, but everyone's starting to find their way, and hopefully it continues, and there's, there's some people that have got on at this time that continue to grow and elevate their career now and go and do it in the clubs and the dance floors. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's really the, the like the digital age, the last like since two marches ago, it's really ha- you've had to squeeze all the juice out of the lemon. So you might use the same equipment in different ways. And you've had to maybe use all the different tangent experiences you've had around being a DJ or an MC or performer. So like maybe you're a sound tech or you work lighting in a film thing a couple of times and I've done camera and all these different things like in theater and script writing and even like stand up comedy and, and uh so all these different things it, it was amazing like and i always dreamed of working from home and living anywhere in the world so i finally left toronto because of i've got kids and we were right downtown and it was getting a bit hectic down there as a father but it was also like i didn't have to be in toronto to be creative or run a business either and i got it maybe half or you know, a third of the way of where I wanted to get to really support my family and uh, because I was like the main breadwinner um, before COVID yeah. um, running a DJ agency. But uh, it was really cool to be able to live anywhere uh, that I want and still make art and connect with other like-minded people that love music, for example. So yeah. that was like, that was really cool. Like, uh, like, because we were limited by not being able to go out, there was a lot of room to grow in completely other ways. Kind of like if you lost your eyesight for a year at a bit, all your other senses would be that much more developed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think you're spot on there. Um, and it's definitely the other thing as well is, is giving people a lot more time to be able to do those things because, uh, especially not so much for me here but especially for yourself and other people who were in the bigger cities how much time in the morning do you spend getting to work and then getting home and rush out of traffic and you're just sitting there and you're in your car yeah you may be listening to music but you're only really listening to your music analyzing things like that whereas when now being at home you can wake up get yourself ready you don't have to do that drive you can be up you can spend that time later in the day or earlier in the morning before you start your work, working on a little bit and then go and do what you need to do. And then there's no drive home. You can just jump straight back into it. Everything's right there at your fingertips. So that's, that's been amazing. Yeah. But uh, that's spoken as a single man though. Like who doesn't have dependents yeah. uh, bouncing off the walls with zero childcare options. So it's been hard to carve out those hours. And I sometimes am doing it later at night, 
or even doing it as a family friendly, like we're having a dance party and that they come down and become part of the show. And yeah. you can tell somebody's good at beat matching if they can do it while holding one or more of their children. <laughs> Learning to do it one handed. That that ups it. The, the famous trick of scratching with the turntables upside down. I think yeah, that's can, the best one I've seen yet is one kid you, in one hand and still be able to beat match. Yeah, can you can you beat match with one hand tied behind your back? <laughs> so is that is that kind of what you've been doing as well then to keep yourself loose and keep yourself on the ball is kind of having having little dance parties and I guess kind of small small get-togethers to a certain degree where you're just kind of getting the family together and the music is just a little bit of fun and it gets everyone else involved and it means that that time doesn't necessarily have to be carved away from the time that you were spending with your kids and with your family. Uh, I think like the streaming part was just a natural progression of what we were already doing and and we are an event company like I am a wedding DJ, I am an MC, I we, we do corporate stuff and all kinds of events, but we also are music lovers and still play actual vinyl records. So yeah. the, the doing events as a business helps me be a record collector and afford to collect them all. Um, but then it also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where I get people wanting to book paradise garage weddings, for example, where it's about love, but it's also like really funky dance, dance music. That's like classic music or house or whatever it is that they want. Um, uh, it's just interesting that uh, you can. It's there's just sorry I kind of lost track where we were there. Yeah. Your the question's been a bit of um, you're you're putting extra stuff in there, so I'm kind of losing the question. Yeah, no, um, like being involved with uh, or getting a family involved and um, being able to get your practice in while also spending time with the family and doing the kind of streams and things like that all in one has that kind of been the way that you've managed to keep on top of things and keep yourself loose no they generally don't go together the kids jump come in and jump pull down the green screen and uh <laughs> want to scratch the record that's playing and all that stuff but uh they are they're a bit young but they'll they'll get into it and they want to they want to do it some more but um yeah running the dj business has helped be has helped the club night so i was just trying to get to the point where uh because we were doing the wax candy disco night at the piston, then we in trying to support the bar, we were doing it online and we did a couple there in the front window when we were allowed to, we did some inside where we'd stream from inside the bar to their patrons. Um, so me and Mark kept that wax candy disco thing going. And I think like any music loving crew of DJs, you usually come together around a love of some kind of music, like, funk or reggae or house or whatever hip-hop or whatever it is yeah, and then yeah. that's the current that pulls it's like the river that pulls everybody through that helps you learn about all the other skill sets that you can transfer to any type of music whatever so uh yeah that's just uh that's what's kind of that's how the streaming kind of went this year where generally you're finding people that like the same kind of music and then you team up in a stream and then then that becomes a family of like the the wax candy disco thing turned into disco national for example yeah yeah no um that that's been a really cool thing to see as well as the development of these almost uh, events that are now happening completely virtual online and i mean with the disco national thing that was something i think uh, one of our guests that we had on the podcast back in episode four jnl was part of uh, disco national he's amazing 
Yeah, he's he's crazy. Like even uh, we we filmed just over an hour, and after after the podcast and everything, even beforehand, I was sitting talking to him, and the guy is just he's he's just like a like a sponge. He just soaks so much information in. Like he knows so much things when it comes to music and production and events, and because he's just been around at all he's been doing it for he's, so long he's, and- he's up there towards daft punk in terms of french touch and his music production yeah. over deck over the last like two or three decades or whatever yeah yeah well I'm just, even, I'm just learning about him he even uh when i was speaking to him as well um like he put together the mix for us like we do how we do the weekly mix if you haven't already go and listen to sam's mix it'll be up on the soundcloud right now um link is in the bio at the instagram but um yeah when he put together the mix he he shot me a message and he was like, hey, man, uh, is it OK if I just use quite a lot of my own tracks? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, please do that. Like, go ahead. And he sent me over. I think I got it about a week or so early and I listened to it and I'm like, holy shit, this guy is legit. Like I'd heard some world, of his world stuff class. before. World class. Like, yeah, like it's up there with some of the best kind of French house sound and disco that I've heard. I mean, and I've saw a lot of the guys that have been popping off over in Europe with that kind of sound. And obviously Daft Punk is a a massive one. And like, he's right up there with those guys that are at the top level. So uh, yeah, that was how I heard about the disco, the disco national thing. Um, that's what's been really cool about that too, is that we're learning about one another and just in, in trying to, um, connect all the provinces and actually get somebody from every province on one stream. I think we had like 14 DJs one night, whereas 14 people on the hour coast to coast. So it started in noon out East and finished like 3 AM out West. We yeah. Yeah. I think we didn't, I don't know if we had Saskatchewan on that one, but we have had every province involved in it. Um, but it's just been kind of fun to, to get a wild, a wide range of people taking on disco. Cause there's so many, there's so many roots of house music and so many branches of disco that are all, it's so open to interpretation, right? And disco's had such a heavy stamp on hip hop and house music and everything else that like so often those musics have like a total disco feel to them. Yeah. Right down to Bruno Mars and what you hear on top 40, like even Doja Cat and stuff that's going on now. It's, it's soaked in disco. Yeah, you're <laughs> spot on. And I, I think uh, disco is something that everyone recognizes as well. Like, I have friends who will strictly listen to like heavy metal music or rap music or whatever it is that you would think is the furthest thing away from disco. And you put a disco track on, they just can't help but dance. They can't help but move. Like it just puts a smile on your face. Like it feel good music. It gets you going. It lightens the mood. Everyone's enjoying themselves. So I think what you guys have done with the disco national has been fantastic. And again, I wanted to, I was just about to touch on that as well, how you've managed to incorporate people from every province. Like you're moving all across the country. Uh, we've had a couple of the guys who have played on the disco national and uh, like nights on a, it's a Saturday night that you guys play. Um, even Will Hempfrey, who we had a few episodes ago oh, yeah, from yeah. Edmonton, he was part of that. And, uh, it's just so cool seeing it move from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. And then those guys are finishing it off. And um, I think the big thing that's that's kind of developed with that as well is, like you said, each different artist is then 
getting to watch the next person who they maybe wouldn't have interacted with before and they're learning about all these different guys who are playing similar styles or have similar interests in music and they can connect there rather than being so busy jumping gig to gig to gig and craziness of life where they don't get to stop and actually form connections and learn about some of these people that they probably would have completely missed. Some of us have even shared the music that we've created with one another. So I'm hoping at one in the future, we might do a disco national where we play music only by disco national members. So uh, DJ spilt milk, for example, Trevor from out West, yeah. he actually sent me three of his 45s of like G funk and boogie slappers and house music that he'd made, like even some hip house and vocals and dubs and everything like you know, to get a care package in the mail, he wouldn't let me send him any money. So I had to like subscribe to his channel and throw a whole bunch of bits on it, right? <laughs> send him some, uh, some, some uh, tokens back, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's crazy. That's, uh, that's the kind of, the kind of bonds that you guys are forming and the friendships are developing from it. And then hopefully in turn, that's just a seed that's been planted for this to grow and flourish and when things open up and you guys can get together, you can have disco national shows in person. You can, uh, you formed like you've got these guys that you can go to who you've worked with previously and are now being part of the disco national family for the last year or so here. Oh yeah. Um, I wanted to mention uh, Jose from uh, sweat and YEG. He's doing like a two day disco festival and he's actually invited us to go and uh, perform at it. And like, it's, I don't know if he has crazy budget for anything, but it's the invitations open. So even if it's in Edmonton, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal for Saskatchewan or some BC or uh, Calgary, Red Deer, other DJs to go up like a couple hours over that way. It's not that big a drive. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've actually been speaking to Joseph as well uh, and well about going out there and seeing some of their shows. Cause I, like I was talking to Will as well and a lot of the stuff that they're trying, that they've been doing out there, even pre COVID and their events out there seems kind of right in line with the kind of things that I'm trying to do here. So, and those guys are good guys and they really love the music. So I'd like to go out and be a part of that, whether it's just uh, going out and, uh, getting to know all the guys, even if yourself is going to be out there or some of the other guys that's been Disco National um, and getting to interact with you guys in person because that's the one thing that I'm missing here. I mean, I've loved doing these podcasts over the last uh, 11, 12 weeks here, but it sucks not being able to do them in person. Like I, I, love was, ho I was hoping to get to Saskatchewan like two Aprils ago. I was supposed to just bef just before COVID started, I was like booked to play, uh, yeah, Regina. And then on the Saturday for like a corporate event doing like music videos with a band. But then I picked up a Friday with Charlie Hustle and I was like looking forward to finally going to meet him and play him. And like I traveled through Saskatchewan to play all around Alberta. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't played in Saskatchewan before. So I'm like trying to hit all the provinces myself. But uh, yeah, yeah well, I was hoping, well, hoping to get out there. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll get you out here then uh, in the, the next, well, whenever everything opens up and we can start to put plans into action. Because, I mean, we've, well, I've kind of spoke about this a little bit before with some of the other guys who are from around this area. And even uh, one of the guys that we had from Saskatoon who was on the podcast, uh, we kind of spoke like Saskatchewan's a strange one. So because there's such a heavy influence with country music and uh, kind of hip hop music and things like that, rock music, 
there's not as many or uh, there's not as many events for disco dance music uh like kind of techno music house music things like that are few and far between you've kind of got look hard to find them they're there but they're kind of hidden away so uh what we're trying to kind of do i've even been speaking to some of those guys about getting that that going is try and just make them more available and more uh abundant because there's definitely people here who want to attend these events it's maybe just they they're not as uh they're not as easy to find right I've heard in Regina too, it was uh, from the DJs that I knew that were a bit more in their thirties. Now they just said that, you know, some people just got married and had kids and moved on. Cause you know, in the, in the prairies and outside of the cities, people generally get married a bit earlier, like 2025, 20, as opposed to 30, 35, 40 in the city. Right. So yeah. that the scene didn't last as long because it wasn't such an urban place. And that a lot of the bars overall went more for a pub style, uh, like even larger pubs, maybe with some entertainment and a DJ, but it wasn't like a club where there was a focus. Uh, when I toured out there 10 years ago, we were playing some hockey arenas and I was in like a black eyed peas group called Nikki awesome and the Royal society. And it was like two will I am dudes and a Gwen Stefani type singer. And we had some music videos. I was the stage DJ and we opened up for flow rider at the time who, um, you know, he from he started with two live crew in Miami as a hype man, right? So yeah. he'd been there before, and uh, yeah, we were playing we we're playing like Cowboys or some of the clubs like in Red Deer and Fort McMurray and uh, hockey arenas like Red Deer and Medicine Hat and space spots like that. But sometimes they get like eight hundred, even two thousand at some of the hockey arenas for the larger shows. But yeah, like. That is that is a lot. The problem is uh, the scene maybe just didn't last as long, and also there's not as many venues who are going towards that kind of business model. Um, a lot Alberta, of ones- Alberta kind of feels like Canada's Texas too. Like for this group, we actually wrote a song called Country Style, which was like a hip hop song. So I, I purposefully took like a harmonica, like country instrumental, and then we sang about like riding rodeo style. It was like real dirty. Like it was like a Canadian version of Genuine Pony. <laughs> get on it ride it kind of like was that kind of song <laughs> that's hilarious and yeah, i mean you're spot on it's kind of like canada's texas um Hick-hick-hop. yeah i had one of my friends from scotland come out and visit me here probably about i want to say five or six years ago and uh he was kind of like i want to come out there i want to experience canada i want to see kind of what it's like out there so i took him to stampede and uh, we, the first night that we were there, he was like mind blown. He's like, I can't believe there's actually people with like cowboy hats and uh, the big belt buckles and cowboy boots and everything. And I was like, just wait. That night we took him to Cowboys Casino, right? He goes in, skinny jeans, polo shirt that's like super like tight, perfect fitting upper scotsman yeah oh yeah like walks walks into no, walk no in trainers no hats yeah i know at the club you got to look posh or whatever yeah you got to be dressed super proper and uh, we take well, him we'll call cowboys him fag get out of here fag <laughs> we come into cowboys casino and uh he sits down at a roulette table and it's him and like four or five guys that are like cowboys or they're their uh, bolo ties on, their hats and everything, and everyone's just kind of looking at them and this and that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the bar, get a drink, blah, blah, blah. So I got away, and I'm like, this is going to be a nightmare for this guy. I come back, 
I don't know how he managed it, but he was like a few thousand dollars up. He's buying everyone shots. So these guys are loving him. Like he's wearing someone's cowboy cowboy hat. They're like trying to give him their boots and everything. I'm like, Jesus, man, you can't take this kid anywhere. And he's like, this place is crazy. I'm never leaving. This is the greatest place ever. And he was like, yeah, it's just essentially Canada's Texas, like the Wild West, I guess. I guess, well, yeah, Europe would fit in most of the provinces, right? So it's such a big, big area. That's why we excel at telecommunications. And <laughs> <laughs> We've got so, so few people on such a massive land, right? There's, and each one it could be like another country in Europe or a, like five or ten countries or more. Like they're... Yeah, like, and a lot of people, a lot even of my friends here didn't understand that. Like they were, because of the size of Canada, I was talking to one of my friends and he thought that there was more people in Canada than there is in the UK. I was like, in the UK, uh, there's twice as many people. And like, you can fit the UK in Saskatchewan three or four times. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Great Lakes. Yeah. So, and they were just mind blown by that. And I was like, yeah, like you don't, there's no gap between places. There's no, like obviously there's farmland and things like that, but it's like, there's no 20 minute drive where there's completely nothing, no towns, nothing. It's like, there's always the next town and the next town and the next town all kind of linked together and yeah. it's pretty pretty compact and it's like a big saucepan and all the people are just a bit of sauce on the bottom because they're all pushed right against the American border for the most part. Like ninety five percent of the people are like actually within a hundred miles of the border. Yeah, <laughs> we all yeah. live on the we all live on the on the fence. <laughs> yeah, and it's and on the sides too. Like it's all compacted to the sides. I mean, out where where you are, out Ontario and uh, even Vancouver way in bc that's where everyone is the middle part like saskatchewan manitoba alberta there's next to no one here for how big how much land there is and how big the area is there's not a whole lot of people in uh in saskatchewan i think that was a lot of the problem with uh the kind of club models as well as people were trying to open these huge venues and they just didn't have the people there to fill them it's just not going to work Maybe you got to do more of an experience out there is what I was thinking. Like if it's because if they're going, if they want like even rodeo and stampedes, like this big, crazy experience. Well, if you if you're into disco and house music, well, that was a whole experience. Like you've got the flashy Hollywood Broadway style Studio 54 that's all flamboyant. And then you've got maybe a bit more of a darker club where there's not it's not even really about drinking. It's like there's a special magical punch and everybody stays up for two or three days and you know different styles of paradise garage where it's more about going to a dark place to be private um and have a have a mind-altering sound system that makes you hear even songs you knew you'd have a spiritual experience because you've never heard heard them that loud yeah i think that would be the way to go is to have these not even big venues but the smaller venues the the compact uh as they would say in the uk sweat boxes just like dark big sound system it's focused on the music there's a more of a freedom it's i guess it's more of a kind of european style to it where you're seeing in like places like berlin and germany uh and even in some of the more kind of eastern countries like the ukraine and poland and places like that are kind of going along that model where it's almost like small warehouses that are 
dark with the big crazy sound systems and that's it there's nothing special about it but it's just the music and you can go there and uh, enjoy your night and there, you have the privacy in there and there's not there's no judgment you can it's not really focused on some of these clubs that's like playing the top 40 hits or the same songs every week and it's more of a social thing where you're going there to drink and you're going there to talk to people and yeah, it's, it's not as focused on the music. It's more about the, the kind of socialization aspect. Yeah, we really miss our bar, the Piston, uh, at Bloor and Ossington there. If I can shout them out, 937 Bloor if you're in Toronto. But they they really put a lot of energy into building a proper sound system that really pounds and then putting paneling and baffling in so the room's like really punchy. So it's not like the, the sonic treatment in the room really makes it feel like our little church and yeah. it would only fit 150 people, but we'd routinely get that or 200 or more through the door in a night. So you get like early in uh, first and second wave, um, not of COVID of people coming out for the <laughs> night, but uh, um, the lighting, the disco ball, we really had like a little disco church. that was, was, uh, was a thing. And uh, hopefully they're opening up again on Friday, but um, just creating some kind of experience because, there is something to be said for some kind of disco light show or festivals. It could be just a laser at one end of the room and a red light at the back or something. It doesn't have to be much, but um, sometimes it's easier to stun all the senses if you make it all dark first and then just put a few things in. Yeah. Um, but it could be something where maybe like you're doing food or we had live performers. So we'd play the instrumentals and then we'd have people actually sing some of the classics and then of their own material or have local producers coming out. And when they walk in the room, you put their own, their new seven inch out that they just released or, um, or pairing food and other like smells and associations. So it's not just it, you know, like uh, no disrespect to raves and techno culture, but sometimes it's uh, there's sometimes more cultured stuff where there's more senses. Like if you go to a restaurant or there's more, it's just more of an experience because you're stimulating more senses, yeah. like smell, taste, touch. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, that's that's the way to go. And I mean, we've got a few ideas with what we want to do here uh, in terms of moving forward when we, we can uh, start to look at different venues and put together different events and things like that. We have kind of been thinking about things like that. But honestly, especially here in Saskatchewan, what we need more than anything is just a change up, something new. I think people are just, a lot of people who I speak to as well, just don't even go out anymore because they're like, I've done it, dude. Like, it's the same thing that's been going on for the last however many years and there's nothing new, there's nothing, like, I've done it, I've experienced it, I want to go out, but there's nothing that's that's kind of given me a reason to do it, right? So uh, I think they just need need a little bit more uh, a little bit more creativity into these nights and uh, give give some people some some things to be excited about and I know uh, I know a couple of years ago they done a thing in Saskatoon uh, and it was like a mock wedding they called it so it was almost like uh, yeah it was essentially just like a fake wedding where you could just buy tickets and go to this and everybody was having a drink and partying and having a good time and uh, and it, it was a lot of fun. So maybe some some other creative things like that uh, can can start to get more people involved because I think uh, a lot of people are just skeptic of 
going back to the same places that they've already been, right? That's a well, you know, every problem can be an opportunity, and you can just look at it as an opportunity to flip the table and come up with something new. I think you just got to keep getting creative with it and keep trying to keep trying to do better and better and get more people involved and uh, do things that kind of surprise people that they maybe wouldn't think about that's uh, going to get them a little bit excited about it and want them to actually come out and uh, come out and have the confidence that they're going to experience something that they're not expecting or something that uh, they know is going to be fun but they don't quite know everything about it right like a little bit of almost like christmas right where it's like you know you're going to get presents but you don't know what you're going to get yet so you're <laughs> you're so excited and you're ready to go and you're looking forward to it and uh i think that's kind of the way things have to go out here and it doesn't have to be a huge venue it doesn't have to be thousands of people or anything like that it's, it's just got to be something that's consistent and uh has enough has enough uh what's the word i'm looking for creativity and uh spunk to it that lets people kind of get a little bit of a buzz about it and want to be involved and want to keep coming out and develop that little core group of people who actually believe in what it is that you're doing yeah it's a, well it's about feeling and connection and uh you just have to look to like if there isn't much going on there then where is stuff going on well there's there's shambalas out there that's like a big creative thing where people really create an experience that's a whole you know you're, you feel like you're traveling to a little gnome village or something like that and then you've obviously got your burning man festivals where people are completely creative and have like you know department of mutant vehicles and stuff like that like there's just all like i've i've never been to either one of those but i know lots of people have been to a lot of those parties and we've had our own here in Ontario Ohm Festival is one like the rave scene. It was like the the hippie hoppers and the ravers that were a bit more into sustainable green ideas, let's say, and and saving the planet than destroying it. They were doing some really cool uh, festivals for for decades, and uh, there's just so many different ideas out there. Um, just to find other people that are into doing stuff that want to, yeah, like invent and create. Yeah, and I spoke to. Uh... Actually, I spoke to one of the one of the guys who was involved with uh, the Connect Festival that happened out here. It happened in Buffalo Pound, just outside of Regina here, and he done that for I think more than ten years. They ran that festival, and it was a success. And they really built something that was worth building. But again, when I spoke to him and I asked him why is it no longer a thing, it was a similar thing to coming back to what you were saying before. He's like dude i've got kids um, i'm just getting too old it's harder to do these things i don't have as much time to and as much energy to put into the project so i just felt like i wasn't doing it justice i wasn't giving it my all i was it wasn't going to be the same as when i was younger and when i was passionate about it and when i was kind of i had the time to focus on it and make everything right and make an experience and i didn't want to be taken taking people's money to come out to a festival that I'd half-assed or that we had maybe not put as much into it as we should have or could have. Um, so I think it just needs someone else to pick up pick up the baton and keep pushing it forward and keep trying to break through the ceilings and get more people involved and 
trying to have something that's going to be continuous and that's going to last for a while that people are going to enjoy, right? And uh, those those different ways, like you said, like the creative ways that you're seeing at places like Burning Man, Shambla, or even uh, the kind of eco-friendly festivals and things like that is a, is a great way to do it. And you're seeing uh, even our very first guest that we had on this podcast uh, was a gentleman from Winnipeg. His name is Nathan Zahn. And he does the uh, Manitoba Electronic Music Exhibition in Winnipeg. And uh, they, he, I was even speaking to him, and they incorporate a lot of like technology things and kind of science-based stuff and uh, engineering, uh, engineering things. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a convention, a conference. Uh, yeah, like a conference of these different arts with the kind of electronic music thrown in to complement it. And it crosses over people who were interested in maybe only the music side of things into more of the technology side of things and vice versa, right? It, oh, we, yeah, we had the CDJ show here in Toronto many years, and I spoke at it a couple of times. And it was out west, I think, in Calgary uh, a number of years. Uh, but it's it's hasn't happened the last few years. But that was, there was a whole, like, wedding and entertain like event entertainer section of it but then there was also like um heavy music production and uh you know like Stuart knight from tool room records would come over and yeah. uh like some big there's some big names in the scene um there's a guy out there uh uh ben um oh the dutch guy that uh tiesto and everybody looks up to um he lives out in alberta um oh, it'll come to me in a sec <laughs> yeah things like that is it's always cool to see because i mean electronic music is obviously first and foremost about the music but a big driving factor behind that is obviously the technology and the development of different drum machines synthesizers things like that that makes it possible i guess now we're moving into everything's everything's software everything's on your laptop you can i mean look at some of the the biggest names over the last 10 20 years avici's another another massive example of this a lot of his stuff he made on a laptop right like a lot of his initial stuff was just made on a laptop and it was at home in a home studio or even i'm pretty sure i was speaking to uh, drewski from saskatoon and he's good buddies with charlie hustle and he's like yeah his latest uh, album a lot of it was based off of like doing stuff at home obviously there was some studio time and things like that thrown into it but all kind of started with a laptop so everything's so easy accessible now the technology is making it making it even easier for these people that are extremely 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 creative and uh musically gifted to be able to put together these pieces are these tracks and these albums and mixtapes and everything that that they've been thinking of that they can translate it from their head into the sound that they're that you're hearing through the speakers right the only thing that's missing is talent yeah and and soul yeah i i worked at long mcquade 20 years ago and we joked that um you know because they were synthesizing virtual vsts or virtual instruments of everything you could ever see in a studio uh you know i don't need a hammond b3 organ that weighs like 400 pounds i've got it <laughs> you know i got it got got it right here on this little you know yeah um 
but we joke yeah this should just be a talent plug-in you know you could just write the lyrics in and it'll sing it for you and yeah i mean you're, i mean you're not wrong i know you're a big vinyl guy as well you're uh obviously we can see that a little bit of the collection there and uh yeah it's, it's a whole different ball game I, I guess back then they were still using a lot of these things but to a certain degree there's there's a little bit it's a little bit nicer when you hear someone or you see someone who plays vinyl and is playing records. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of themselves, a little bit of their soul that goes into those records, right? Because <laughs> that's like takes... John Cusack, John Cusack in that uh, in High Fidelity. They're like, how do you organize your records uh, chronologically? Or uh, he's like autobiographically. <laughs> <laughs> this one's very when I broke up with Janine, who <laughs> left me in the rain. <laughs> yeah i think uh it's it's a whole other ball game when you can see someone playing live and playing vinyl and it's not as much on these digital players and the cdjs i mean the cdjs are fantastic and uh the the kind of technology and the the leaps that they've taken generation by generation looking from where they started as just cd players to now is crazy but uh vinyl is always something that's a little bit more personal almost because it's not an easy process where you just hop on the front page on Beatport and click the first download that you find or do you know what I mean? You've got to go, and, you've got to go it's, to it's the, the record source. Store. It's the source. It's the source yeah. of DJ. The DJ is to jockey some discs. So like CDJs are great. Uh, all these devices are amazing. Like I am uh, totally into controllerism or however you want to cook dinner. I don't care, but they're all trying to be a pair of turntables. A pair of turntables never trying to be CDJs. Yeah. Um, and people just respect it. So like, you know, even, even if I'm doing corporate events or weddings, like just to play just a little bit of vinyl at the beginning, it's like, Whoa, he might have got that off the internet, but he didn't download it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or he did it, maybe a 3D printed it or whatever. But, like, <laughs> but it just shows that you cared enough about the music to get it. And then when everybody's got like a laptop in their face when they're DJing these days with their DJ name on it or whatever, it's kind of like being, it's like cowardly hiding behind your logo too. So, like, even my MC training or stand up training, one of the things they do to teach you is to take the mic stand when you do comedy you take the mic stand you go and put it behind yourself because you don't want any kind of visual block so as soon as you have this you're not really giving yourself to the audience so the more that you're hiding behind a laptop or something that's why cdjs are so popular in the nightclubs is you're not hiding behind a laptop but if you've actually got vinyl records you can see wow he actually bought that like he actually bought has that record or the original pressing or whatever it is and it's just harder. It's just because it's harder to do. It's like, whoa, they'll even forgive you if you flub a mix here and there. There's a bit of crackle because they know you're doing something like they can tell that there's mistakes in it. And that's what makes it perfect, that it's imperfect. Yeah, I, I get really bored with a lot of dance music, house and techno and tech house and stuff where it's just airtight. Never like, did you pre-record this? Because this is boring. Like, it's just it's meticulous. But it's boring. I want to. I want somebody like smash through the door like the Kool Aid Man with a hip hop set that's gonna make you laugh and cry and <laughs> punch the wall and slap the floor. Like the skating thing know. is. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's just there's yeah. it's just real. It's more raw and authentic and stuff. And that's just that's what I enjoy. That's well, it's where almost, it started for me. It's almost scary as well because then it's it's hard to di- differentiate between the ones that are pre-recorded and the ones that aren't because they're both equally as 
suspect. Like when you have someone standing there in front of you, they're playing vinyl. You can see like there's no focus on just I'm going to play this track and I'm going to let it run. Right. You've always got to be kind of on the ball. You've got to be keeping the tracks and, and beat and like, you've got to be looking in what the next vinyl is going to be. You've got to be sent up. You've got to be beat match and you got to be, there's so much more skill goes into the actual technique of DJing and a lot less of the, just I'm going to press a sync button, press play or whatever it's going to be beat match these up and then press play and then just leave it. And I can go and talk to whoever else is in the booth and, be best buddies and dance for the cameras that are on me and all these kind of things. Whereas with vinyl, it's pure. There's no bullshit about it. There's no, you can't throw up that smoke screen. Like you said, like, and it's, it's art though. Like even rock stars know it, like from the white stripes on down, they know for them to get taken seriously as an artist, they got to make records because records are, is their art. It is their commodity. They're, their content, their value is in creating art for people that are limited edition. And like from white, one white dude to another, like we are privileged that we have extra income to be able to buy things like records and other collectibles. Right. So there is like, I don't want to be so snobby that it has to be vinyl. It's just, it's a thing. And it's like, if you know music and you get music, it came out of places where, they DJed because they couldn't get the whole band and they needed to keep a party going or they they had to keep a radio station going or there's certain limitations and that a vinyl collection is like you, you really build it up. We didn't have other options. Like certain disco DJs would make mixtapes and play tapes back. They'd sometimes have edited stuff or acetates like one-offs that they would make uh, test pressing. So some of the people that like when disco and house music was starting, they'd have, they cut a test pressing and run it to the studio, sometimes even rushing it to the DJ or giving them a line of Coke or whatever to get it on the sound system. <laughs> Cause they want to know if it pounds. And like, sometimes the DJs would run it back like five, 10 times until it became an anthem that night. They still hadn't done the final mix down. They go, Oh yeah. That one synth is a bit too strong in the, <laughs> like in the third. Yeah. Or whatever. Like cut the, cut the kickback just a hair and push the vocals another you know just so it pops um but that like if you know music and you care about dance music or care about music at all you'd know like whether it's reggae or hip-hop it was all about the what they were doing with the limitations they had which is the vinyl that they had at the time yeah and especially you know how many format changes we've had like there was eight tracks and then you know and then like we had 78s and 45s and 33s and then the VHS and laser discs and mini discs and dat tapes and CDs and te- they had singles. They had cassettes and then they had singles. So you'd buy the single of just the song with maybe a dub on the other side. Like there's the amount of formats we've had, like to MP3s to music video files now. It's yeah. Even yeah, even you go sound on- like such a geezer, like no no like you're spot on everything is is it's just crazy and uh, through all of that vinyl is the one that's kind of stuck right like all of the other ones up until now where you're seeing mostly like mp3s wave files uh things like that like in the digital format everything else is almost i don't want to say irrelevant but it's became outdated that's nobody you don't see anybody playing like cds or uh like cassettes or anything anymore but vinyl is the one that stuck because that was 
the kind of originator. That was the one that back in the day, that's what people could get. And that's, that's where they poured their blood, sweat and tears into this and made it happen. And a lot of, a lot of DJs who have been doing this for a long time and started when it was all vinyl that was being played. I mean, they probably don't miss having to carry around cases of, a vinyl to every gig because they're heavy but outside of that I mean yeah like they're crazy crazy heavy and you don't realise it until you actually because when you hold a like when you hold a 12 inch in your hand it's not that bad when you've got a crate of them it's like holy shit what did I say, sign up for here so that's why I you had, don't see anyone doing it anymore But I've had homeboys that got hired sometimes for shows to, hired for shows where they were they were a DJ caddy and they get paid 500 bucks for the weekend or 500 bucks a night just to follow the DJ and make sure he didn't get jacked and roll his joints for him and get him a water when he needed it and and I, I kind of took that on with our company where we just don't send DJs out solo especially if we're playing vinyl it's just not it never like even in Jamaica you know a DJ there's like four people to do it because it's the big responsibility and you take you take tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment you want to take and put it on the street in Jamaica, <laughs> you need an army around you to hold, hold fort, hold court as it were. Right. So you need one guy who's just the sound man. Like you're just making sure the sound is tweaked and pumping and it's not clipping or distorting. And then one guy, the DJ is the one out there with the microphone toasting the crowd. Like that's the DJ yeah. and the selector is often just the one picking the tunes. He sometimes doesn't have the skill to DJ, but he knows the music. He's usually the gray haired gorilla of the group. And then the mixers may be more the energetic one. That's really, it's just more of the jockey that can actually mix or has the turntable skills. But you know, that's before lights and sound and running a bar and all the, you know, all the rest of Rick getting the power in the tent and uh, all the, all the security and everything but like no a dj is easily like you could hire four different people just to do that before you touch lights and staging and all the rest of it so it i don't dj is one of those things that's very much like a swiss army knife of all these tools and you may have we may have different size swiss army knives with different tools but some of them aren't sharp or they might be rusty or you might even have the tool and not know how to use it so you know like playing guitar or piano it, it really is a lifelong pursuit no matter how old you get if you keep practicing, you can't con can constantly grow and do more, more fun sets. Yeah. And I, th I think there's been a lot of people that have demonstrated that as well. I mean, a lot of those kind of iconic DJs from the eighties and the nineties who are just like up there on the, the kind of Mount Rushmore and they're, they're, they're still here. They're still kicking. They're still getting better. They're still doing everything that they were doing back then. Yeah, they may have a team around about them, like you said, to help them out with uh, making it possible. But at the end of the day, they're they're still always learning and looking to evolve and looking to get better and looking to advance what it is that they do and, and put on a show. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, all of this stuff has to work in sync and in perfect timing to get the end result of people on the dance floor and having a good time, right? Like... Yeah. And ultimately, if you're an artist, it, it, if you're an artist, it's just generally about being on a journey. So it's not that you never have arrived. It's always that you're, you're, you know, you're a traveler with a story to tell and you're not from the small town Regina where everybody's seen the same crap over and over again. <laughs> you're from Scotland, this magical place of Glasgow, and <laughs> such rich history and 
you know, you've strange traveler from far away. Please tell me about your exciting world and your your travels getting so far for so long. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the little bit of the exotic erotic thing too, right? Like, as an artist, you in Toronto, like people, if you never left, people would just like, oh, the same guy is just doing it from his mom's basement or whatever, right? Whereas if you know, once you traveled as an artist from Toronto, you, they knew you did shows in other cities and then you came home, then they'd show you some love because you took a risk as an artist and you took a risk to put yourself out there and you've bet on yourself and you invested in yourself. So, you know, I think just in general, people looking for any artist to be on a constant journey and growth. And uh, that's a generally why DJs turn into producers and leaving those time capsules and making music. Uh, Cause you know, throwing parties and everything is great and it's nice to build a scene in your community. Um, but the smaller towns, people age out a little bit quicker and there isn't so, so much a hotbed of um, energy that creates the music that we love. Like yeah. techno came out of Detroit because of, you know, Detroit falling apart in a way and having this urban chaos and like hip hop came out of, New York City, when it was like burning, it was like a, it was like Palestine right now. It was just a buildings on fire and like, you know, almost like a war zone of, of hip hop came out of like this pressure cooker, of yeah. it, you know, and the, you're not necessarily going to get that in the prairies unless you get all the people from the residential schools to throw down an album about how Canada should pay up and, yeah, and, and get people clean drinking water. And maybe like for me growing up, political hip hop was just, that was the community na- newspaper we needed and house yeah. music can do that. Reggae can do that. Any country music can do that. It's, um, but like music can be a force. Right. But if there's no, there's not much going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, it just kind of highlights how important it is that the, the issue behind the music is because I think a lot of, a lot of music genres and kind of, uh, like the origins of music in every specific little area has been birthed from hard times or not maybe not necessarily hard times, but like times of chaos or times of almost revolution to a sense where people have had something to say, where they've had a, a message to, to put across and they've music's been the way that they've expressed it and the way that they've let everyone know what it is that they're going through and what it's like uh from where they're from and telling everyone their story right and i think uh exactly like you said you've kind of almost got to be always looking for the next thing and the next experience to continue that story because if you keep telling the same story over and over again eventually somebody's going to say hey i heard that one already like what's yeah, new it doesn't always have to come from the pressure cooker of hard environments. So like you could argue that disco came out of, uh, you know, came out of all the sexual and, and, and racial and, and gender equality fights that were finally won. And like after the summer of love and, and people freeing their minds and all the hippie era that you got this kind of celebratory music that was just about dancing and having fun, um, you know, and gay people being a bit more free to be out without getting their clubs burnt down and basically you know what I mean? Like cer- certain personal freedoms for all people. Like maybe th- some music came out as a more celebration of, of that, of those freedoms and stuff. So. Yeah. And I think that is a lot of the reason why, again, like I was saying earlier, people find it so, uh, so warming. And when you do put that kind of music on the disco music, 
you do see people just start dancing and have a smile on their face and feel good about themselves and uh, they just kind of want to get involved and it's it brings some energy to them because that is the kind of energy that was put into the music at that time that was how people felt what people were going through and they just wanted to let everyone know what it was like and how they were feeling and their emotions right yeah it's the same same with like house music often is very uh gospel or very um churchy where it's like expressing the hopes and fears and you know concerns of the people i read that on the back of a reggae album too and from toronto from uh Aishan people from 1977 they they said something that was very similar to what chuck d had said about hip-hop that it's like a community newspaper that expresses what where people are at like they're what they're worried about it's like their it's like their news channel of sorts yeah no that's, that's spot on and I think uh, they cannot, the greatest to ever do it are the ones who kind of understood that and uh, and used it to their advantage in terms of uh, that was their safe space to express themselves and do those kind of things and let people know what was happening and understood how powerful it was maybe even before everyone else understood, right? Like they were the ones who were already on there doing their thing and uh, putting out records that were relatable and that they they felt needed to be uh, known to everyone before everyone else knew that they needed that information. It was uh, almost one of those things where it's like a, it's like the tr- when the DJ that you go to see plays that track that you weren't expecting and you didn't know you would never have picked it, but when they play it, it's like that's the like you just know that that was the perfect track for that time and everyone's into it and loving it and and it it sets the tone and i think they kind of done it in terms of making the kind of music that people needed to hear and even before they knew that they needed to hear it it's it's pretty timeless music too it's really uh people are still making it there's new bands making like funky soulful disco from uh defected records to uh to glitter box and a bunch of different labels that are even even local toronto labels like um love touch records is still putting out that kind of boogie roller skate music yeah um there's there's tons of stuff coming out that's uh you know current and like yeah. feels feels like of that era it's got that same kind of groove and feel that makes you want to move your body but I love Defected. Defected, uh, Defected hold on. They hold their weekly events night in Ibiza, and Eden have been there for what fifteen years now, or something like that. Something a, a while. And uh, I was there in two thousand nineteen and two thousand eighteen, and both both years I was there, we went to Defected. And you're right; it does draw from a lot of that old school style where the music is very kind of feel good and discoy and. Uh, roller skate style funky music but their overall production as a whole and as a label is still focused on those same core values that were present back in the 80s when the music originated like like we were saying earlier as well where sometimes you just need a club that's more dark and private and there's nothing too crazy going on like some of those clubs in Ibiza is like a full-on festival inside a room Oh yeah, and but defected was like they had a couple of lasers, they had some lights, and then they had a big screen behind the DJ that was like one of the big LED screens that had like sometimes had the DJ name on it. But for the most, 
the most part, all it said was in big white letters on a black screen was, in our house, we're all equal. And that was it. Yeah, a message of love. That's perfect. Yeah. And perfect. it was... And it was just unreal. Like both nights are one of the best nights I went to. And I mean, I'm that's, someone that, who, that's David Mancuso right there. Love is the message. Like yeah. love, love saves the day. And I think uh, that's what's made them so successful is because they've, they've, although they've evolved and advanced and as a label and as a creative entity, they've obviously continued to become more creative and expand and do their thing. But, at the root of it all, it's all still that same core value that's never changed. And it's something that's, that's timeless from the 80s and is still very relevant today in a lot of places. I think maybe dubstep and EDM really burnt people out. Like I, I do love dirty sound and editing and, and micro editing and, and all kinds of fun, you know, electronic effects. But ultimately, I'm a more soulful guy who wants to hear real instruments. I love all kinds of drum machines and synths and all, you know, I love all kinds of electronic music, but for the most part, I keep getting drawn back to stuff that sounds like an actual band of sorts, or at least live vocals and singing and soulfulness um, with some kind of human element. Um, and obviously disco got, it got so orchestral with string sections and very white, like sometimes hundred, hundred tracks on the, on the board. And that's, you know, that's why punk rock and uh, hip hop happen sometimes because they're like, you know, I, I don't, you know, punk rock kind of happened because of pro progressive rock where it's like, I don't need to have a degree in, a, you know, a, a PhD in mathematics to be able to write a song about wizards, you know, <laughs> and then yeah. punk rock's like, I don't need to tune the guitar. Just, oi, 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 like just jam it yeah. out. Like, I don't, I don't even care if it sounds good. It's about like the anger behind it. Right. So, yeah. you know, music can sometimes have too many rules or, and I know that with disco as well, before they blew up all that stuff uh, in Chicago, um, you know, about the in Wrigley stadium for a Chicago white Sox game, they blew up a whole bunch of records, but then people were throwing almost anything black or something that they just didn't like in there. And it was, became a very racist kind of thing. And so a lot of the record industry that was more on the rock side of it, didn't want all the gays and blacks and Latinos having such a strong voice uh, with disco. So they purposefully make cheesy disco on purpose to try to make it like a parody of itself. And that's kind of, it became a snake eating its own tail. And then that's when disco went more underground. So you've got the gay scene that went more high energy and you've got more of the R and B modern, modern soul boogie skate sound and different, you know, proto house movements started happening and techno started happening early on, like early eighties, but late seventies, early eighties, it was really starting to, to change um, because of different, like, you know, different things happening at the time. Yeah, and uh, I think that is a lot of the, I think you're spot on there. Where I think that's a lot of the reason why we see all of these different branches of disco and where it's uh, rooted into so many different genres is just purely because the different tough times and different struggles creates each different kind of sound, right? Where the influence is there and you can hear it and you can pick it out, but it's not quite the same message or the same struggle or cause that's gotten to that point so it's slightly different because they have their take on it and their kind of own style to it and again each different kind of region has that too because when you look at a lot of the kind of north american disco and then maybe some of the kind of french french sound house and disco 
and even now you're you're finding a lot of stuff being brought out of Asia as well. Like their dance music scene, electronic music scene is really blowing up over the last five years or so from what I've known. And as well as you have that kind of South American, almost almost like kind of salsa style and more, uh, more kind of easygoing and uh, instrumental type music, uh, type disco music that's coming out. Because in each different place, it's a different struggle. It's different people who are going through different things, who have different experiences, and that's what kind of makes everything branch off. And it's going to be kind of scary because sometimes it's kind of hard to keep track as it, as is right now. And it's going to be exciting to see what what happens in the in the future in the next 10, 20 years here. It's just like Anthony Bourdain tasting the flavors of the world, right? It's just you know yeah. how many how many countries can you travel to and and learn from and incorporate into what you want to do, you know? Yeah. That's what's kind of exciting. Like even, even if I only DJ weddings in Toronto, there's still 140 languages spoken in Toronto. So sometimes the, the mashups of cultures I get asked, (laughs) you know, you got two sides of the family, like Portuguese and Ukrainian. And if I play Portuguese music, the Ukrainians are like shooting lasers over because they, (laughs) they didn't get their jam on first. And like, it doesn't matter which way I go. Like I gotta find the the Portuguese person that moved to Ukraine, yeah, Ukraine yeah. and wrote a song that they all know. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a tough thing to do is to be in charge of the uh, to be in charge of the music and to keep everyone interested, and make everyone happy, and I think that's a lot of lot of what people don't understand about it as well. People who aren't involved in music who don't love music, people who listen to music but don't go deep into it and understand what it's like to play music to people. It's it's hard to explain to them the job that you have and the different things you've got to take into consideration because a lot of people think you just stand up there and play whatever track you're listening to at that time and everyone's going to love it. And that's not well, the case. That's why it's important to kind of build your own brand and kind of have your own style because if you're just copying somebody else then you're just always going to be trying to catch them up. So Wax Candy Disco for us was about playing records that we love just to be true to the original, even though Mark is somebody that has, uh, that I do the night with, he's more of a producer that actually puts stuff out on vinyl. So sometimes he's playing his own records um, or other friends of his that he's done shows with. Um, But it just was a real thing for us to play actual, you know, just to keep it true and honor the elders and, you know, pay respect by doing it the real way. It's just, it's sometimes more fun. Like driving standard is physically harder, but it's just a way better experience if you're in a hot car. Yeah. You get to play it on a big sound system, and then you, you know the sound system's chugging. And you know you only have it in second gear, and you got way more headroom. It's just more fun. It's just more fun. Yeah, and I think that's that's where you got to kind of find the balance as well. You got to you got to have a deep understanding of. The music that's as a producer, especially of the music that's came before you and the influences that you have, you have to understand that and not let not be blind to it. But then you also have to give yourself the credit by almost playing some of your own records or records by other people who you know who have put a lot of time and effort into it and give them the opportunity to share the stage with some of these iconic records and iconic producers and also give it a spin on the big sound systems and see how it runs, see how, how it sounds, see the reaction, read the room of like, can I gauge the gauge how many people are enjoying it? 
uh, is this the right thing for this time or is it going to work better in this setting or it's an it's a kind of it's a game of chess where there's there's no single moves everything's moving at once you've always got to be keeping track of everything and making sure that uh you try and find a balance that's manageable and something that you can kind of uh, stay on top of and still be relatively in control of what's going on. Yeah, and you got to play hit every once in a while. Like we're known yeah. for more left field stuff. You got to play something they know the words to. Yeah. Well, so sometimes that- I sometimes I'd mess them up and play Billy Jean would play the instrumental so they can all sing the part to it. <laughs> But most most of the time we're playing left field stuff. But I guess no matter what you want to do for parties or music, you got to build your own brand. Don't copy anybody else. There's only one of you. So just do your own thing. Throw your own parties. And even if you're in a small, smaller town, just do your thing. And you got to stick with it. Like same with your podcast here. You can't just do one or three or seven of them and think it's going to be success. Sometimes you got to do 50 of them or 100. And just when you give up at 100, it's that 101th one that somebody walks in like, yeah. Um, starting yeah. from scratch has a story about like you got to give it your all on every show too because I think he was playing at some nightclub in Toronto and there was like only six people there but he was like just cutting it up and like he wasn't slouching he wasn't just mailing it in because there was nobody there yet he just started playing because he's trying to build energy and the six people there is like if I keep them there then maybe they turn into 10 people and 15 and it, it grows right One anyway one one of the people was Usher and Usher took him on tour around the world because he wasn't just sitting there like too cool for school like waiting for it to happen you know as opposed to making it happen yeah yeah no it's it's one of those things where i think a lot of people get discouraged when things don't work out first time and they start trying to chase what everybody else wants from them when in reality what most people relate to most is what you offer in with your personality and what your passion is right like people people respect someone that they can look at that they maybe don't share the the same passion as but they can see the same level of passion and something that they do is and whatever it is that they're passionate about right so like maybe someone who for example a dj who is passionate about disco music someone who come come there who maybe loves cars and they can watch this person, see how much they're into playing their show and the music and uh, their craft and how they want to get better and they want to give it their all. And they don't care about how many eyes are watching or how many views it gets. Or uh, They're just there to continuously get better and better themselves and get closer and closer to their next goal and keep pushing the envelope and see how far they can take it. It's not necessarily about can you get to this level. It's what level can I possibly get to? Like how, how good can I get at this? Same with like, I'm, I'm someone who loves, I love UFC and boxing and things like that. And so, I mean, these guys are some, like the best in the world. They're still in the gym. They're still practicing their jab, thousand jabs, 10,000 jabs. And it's the most, it's the first thing you learn, right? And they're still trying to get better and better and better and better. And it's just, that passion and that drive is is admirable and that's what people relate to more so than maybe the actual passion itself. You can't beat a guy who doesn't give up. Yep. That's it. That's you hit the you hit the floor nine hundred and ninety-nine times, but you keep getting up. It's like you keep getting up. <laughs> you're, you're, knocking s- down. you're starting to sound like me. You're starting to sound like me. That's that's what I keep telling my girlfriend. Is you don't like, give up. 
but that but you know like dj uh dj musician life it's not a family life it's like i love you a whole bunch baby you mean the world to me but you know you come second in music right yeah <laughs> yeah no i keep saying to her like will you will you marry me and my music career <laughs> as a three as a threesome <laughs> Well, I think uh, a lot of people We're going to honeymoon at Burning Man during my set. (laughs) I've seen people even at weddings that have invited their family to their wedding, but then, surprise, it's my band reunion, and finally I got my family to show up to my (laughs) one of my gigs. I thought you were getting married today. No, uh, And I'm also like, my band's performing later, like... Yeah. Like this, this comes first. All of this is cool, but the fact that I'm performing, the fact that I'm playing, that's that even finally cooler. came to one of my gigs. I'm I'm walking you down the aisle, <laughs> but I'm also the keyboard player. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're. I mean, it's always got to be the case. Like, and you find the right people who understand that love and that passion. But at the end of the day, you, you can't really give up on it. If it's something that you love to do, you're, you're always going to do it, whether you're going to find a way to do it, right? I mean, one of the guys I look up to, DJ Harvey, he, uh, I think he said like four or five years ago that uh, a DJ doesn't really hit his stride until he's 45. So I'm like, maybe I've finally arrived. <laughs> like you need, you need that many years of listening and mixing and crap events and shit opening spots and whatever to finally know how to do an opening set a middle set at a closing set or how like you know even with a band they say it's like a you know it's like a v12 engine like while your songs on the radio and the music videos on the channel and you got the interviews going and the press is happening and your merch is pumping and you got the tour going and all these cylinders like if even one of those cylinders starts like firing in the wrong direction the car is not going to hit full speed and you won't you just won't succeed as a band it's like this this holy grail of like a fine-tuned engine where you need all these different departments like uh, Pink Floyd riding the gravy train, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think uh, you're spot on there and we're, we're seeing it right now as well. Uh, a lot of the guys, for example, people like Fatboy Slim or Carl Cox, who have just been smashing it in the last few years. I mean, there were... Obviously, those guys are a little bit of a special exception where they've been big for a long time now, but they just seem to keep getting better and better and better. And you didn't think that that level was possible. Like, you look back at when they were at the peak, and I mean, Fatboy Slim was playing on Brighton Beach, and there was as far as you could see, there was people on the beach, there was people pull up in boats. Like, it was just crazy. And then I saw him a couple of years ago, and uh, I was just like, holy shit, he just keeps getting better. Like everything just seems to be working perfectly for him and he's just got it down to a T because he's he's been through all the chaos. He's been through all the at times probably running into things he'd never experienced before and just going off on winging it and going, We'll see how this works and then we'll adjust after. And now they've really kind of fine-tuned it and got it running. Uh, the way that they need it to run for everything to go almost perfectly, right? Almost flawlessly. Well, yeah, I guess any artist, as long as you take care of yourself and be healthy and you're not uh, 
you're not aping your rock stars drug habits and <laughs> taking care of yourself and you know like you you could just keep growing as an artist and getting better like you hit you know, even with muscle memory, you're talking about the fighters, like doing the punch, like you do it to the point where it's muscle memory. And it's same with music and playing music. You just got to do it to the point where you're not even thinking about it. You're just sitting in that flow state. Yeah. That's so hard to get into when you have children. Because so. <laughs> you're like, mommy, daddy, daddy, look at this. You're like, I was just, you know, it takes like 30 minutes for the brain to really get up in the high gear. So sometimes that's when a DJ set when we're doing these sets on Twitch for an hour, it's like, you're, that's just like, it's like the first inning of a ball game. I'm just getting the car going down the highway at that point. Like, I wanted to speak to you a little bit about that as well. Cause obviously I know that your guys DJ sets are generally an hour long with the disco national thing. And I know you play like weddings and things like that. And there's been, I know there's been a lot of kind of talk about this in the last two or three years here where, DJs have been very vocal about wanting to play longer sets. Like, do you prefer to play, I guess, a, a longer set than maybe just an hour slot? Uh, yeah, me and Mark are so flexible going back and forth, though, for Wax Candy, because um, sometimes we just play a couple just to warm up, and then sometimes we used to do that at Love Handle. It was a great boogie night uh, at the same bar. And at the end, sometimes you go two for two. So you, there's two guys hosting it, and then they'd have a guest. But you'd, you'd sometimes just go just two records, two for two to open or close just to kind of keep it fun. Like, oh, sh oh, snap, he played that. Well, then I got to play this. Right. So sometimes just even playing one or two records each is fun. Um, but yeah, longer sets are like we are kind of where you get to tell a story. But it's nice when you're part of a duo and you can really ha like we really got a two headed monster thing going on. Um, but I'm used to doing like corporate events or private events where it's just like a house party and you they want you to play for five to ten hours of music so it's getting into danny tanaglia territory yeah. <laughs> you know when you've like some wine tasting where there's like 500 people there and they need mu music for like four or five hours like that's a that's a good that's a good especially if you're like dancing and smiling and putting energy out and maybe you're on the mic or you know the I like playing that long where you can play from the beginning to the end of the event and really build up the storyline of it. Um, one of the strategies I'd use, it's called a barbershop pole and it's just something that you can use to speed up events. But if you look at a barbershop pole, it's like an optical illusion. that's like rising up like a candy cane, like, like uh, bubbles in a drink, let's say. Yeah. And so you just start off with slower tempos. But as the night goes on, they just pick up a little, little bit at a time, like 1%, just a little bit, one BPM until you, you know, now you got your four on the floor and it's chugging, but you can take it right up to the top of the barbershop pole and then half time it and half the tempo at any time. So like I could go right up to Darude Sandstorm up at 130, 140, and then half time it down at a genuine pony and come back up. It's yeah. a lot easier to do with open format nights where you're expected to play a bit of everything for everybody. Yeah. Um, and that's what's fun about uh, even disco has got a wide range of stuff that's considered disco. Like most disco that we know is 120 to 135, 140 BPM. However, there is super fast and slow disco that still has that sound. So with a lot of sets, I'll use something like the barbershop pole to go up through the tempo and come back around. And obviously with dance music, there's harmonic mixing. So you can do the same thing with the barbershop pole harmonically where each song 
is in the next key up, like on a cycle of fifths, so that you're going yeah. up a key, up a key, up a key, and it, it'll just cycle back around like the notes on a keyboard. Um, but it's a way to make sure all your songs are in, are, in, are not discordant with one another when you're beat matching. So that's something I'm trying to put more into the sets. Uh, it's obviously a lot easier to do digitally than on vinyl. Yeah. Um, but just to be able to play a long event and take uh, people on a bigger journey is important. The Disco National, we have started doing some 90-minute pop-ups. Um, we did one a few Sundays ago uh, with Trevor Walker and Spilt Milk. And I think we have, we're doing like one 90-minute set each month now beyond the other two Saturdays. So uh, I think we're just confirming all the dates. and We'll have some out for June coming up soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's exciting what you guys are doing. And uh, I guess with that kind of format where it's an hour long and you're, you're picking up where the last left, off, last left off, it's very similar to what you were saying when you've got uh, yourself and Mark playing side by side. It's like you're almost taking the last person's or the last track influence and you're trying to then build off of there. And it, it gets you thinking on your toes a little bit and it's a little bit kind of exciting for you that's like okay uh like this guy's really brought it tonight i've got to step my game up i've got to pull something out of the bag like what's it going to be and it's uh it's very cool that just by doing something that like that that maybe a lot of people who just like listening to music and don't really take too much into the technical side of djing and the actual uh, the thought process that goes behind putting a, a set together, uh, being a part of an event like that, uh, would notice. But um, to a certain degree, you're almost working. You're almost working out. It's again very similar to fighting. Whereas you've got your training partner who's kind of pushing you and making you pushing you into situations where you're maybe not as comfortable and almost forcing you to develop parts of your game where you wouldn't be as comfortable just going there on your own right oh yeah like uh, uh i was bringing my mixer uh to the piston they had a pair of 1200s there um and mark wasn't really used to the serato version that i had uh just a certain mixer so he started bringing his own rotary had like a really nice rain rotary mixer uh with an eventide delay on it and the musicality of this delay is so exquisite like the the reverbs and delays and stuff like that um it just really added to the whole musicality of, of, of the show. But I'd played with a few rotary mixers before, but I never really had spent enough time to master it. And it's like when you're borrowing somebody else's car, it's like you're driving in their car and they're like looking over at you, like, you know, like, Oh, that one, you know, that you could have finessed that one a little bit more, bud. Yeah. But, you know, some, sometimes I, I would want to play at the beginning just to get the flight time in before it was packed so that when I was ready later, I might need a couple mixes just to warm up, just to get used to it. Um, you know, and that's why some DJs swap out and they have their own mixer because they're, they're used to having their own mixer. Um, a lot of my shows, I just have a black, I don't know if you can see here, but I have a black coffin case. Yeah. So, like, I would have it in a case, a flight case, so that everything's all, always wired up. So that okay. when I get to a gig, I can just plug in power and an XLR uh, or two into it. And then 
it's it's its own table, its own furniture. I always have it at the same height. It's the same mixer, the mic and everything always works the same way. The same way a guitarist would have like a pedal board and their pedals are laid out the way they don't have to like spend so much time like plugging it all in. It's already plugged in and ready to go. So it just makes life easier to like have your own system. Um, but that's kind of why a standard like Pioneer with their uh, CDJs, that just kind of became a club standard. Yeah. Um, because you can go to a nightclub and expect to get a certain standard. And as long as the, you know, it's at the right height, you're, uh, you're going to be able to play on anywhere you go. Cause it's kind of just standardized equipment. Yeah. Um, I think that is, that is kind of a big thing as to why that that's came in. It's just people feel comfortable on what it is that they know. And the, I get it's similar, exactly like you said, like driving a car, when you're driving your own car, when you've been doing it for so long, you know exactly how it works. You know the limitations that you can push it to and you know the different kind of tricks that, that go through it, whether it be something as simple as like uh, just like the glove box is stuck, but you got to kind of slam on it and you know it's, got, you know it's there, but someone else who's going to go in there doesn't really know uh know what's going on is going to panic struggle to get it open or right so that's why select selection's always key then because you as long as like the main thing that a dj or band or any artist has to do <coughs> excuse me you just got to pick the right songs in the right order you got to pick the best songs and sequence them in the right order then if you can beat match them together then you're a hero right but uh ultimately you're going to get different situations where the gear's broken or something's not right or the, the turntable doesn't work. Like so many times we've gone to a club and the turntable doesn't work. I've flown to other cities with a 45 box to play vinyl and the ground won't come off of the, tur like you've got that 60 Hertz. Yeah. Like it won't, the turntable won't ground. And I'm like, I flew here and have to carry these records around all weekend. I can't, even, but you just find a, a good DJ is going to find a way to rock the party no matter what. Like same if, uh, you know, if you're a comedian or any kind of performer on stage and there's a fire on stage, you just never say we're having technical difficulties. I'm really sorry right now. No, you just like this is part of the show. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just part of what's supposed to like. Yeah, just play it off and that like are, it was supposed to do that. And these are not that. the droids you're looking for. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just part of the show, man. You just get the show done, even if you have a tough one like there's. You know, even comics talk about it where like, oh, I had a really tough crowd in Oklahoma last night. Well, you could argue that, yeah, maybe some crowds might be a bit small minded. I'll just leave it there for the people in Saskatchewan and Alberta that aren't worldly for other people. We have that here in Ontario as well. But uh, there's no bad crowd. There's just a not a good enough performer. Yeah. Because if you were Seinfeld or you were a really great performer or DJ AM or whoever, you literally could go into anywhere, read the crowd like a book and know what to play and not go forward with your plan that you thought was going to be so fantastic for your own selfish reasons, but you're literally giving a service to other people. And even if you don't like them or agree with the way they would vote, you can still look at them and know what they want and crush it. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes out of fear as well, though, because exactly like you said, like the, there's a story I can't remember who told this story, but there's a story about Dave Chappelle. I'm pretty sure he was in Montreal and he was with like a bunch of other comedians. And it was one of the comedians who was telling this story. And he's like, dude, we came off like the, we came off the subway or like the railway or whatever. 
and uh, he starts talking to this guy, and this guy's like, "Oh, dude, I love your, I love your, uh, your show, blah blah blah," and he's like, just stops. Hey, everybody, can I get your attention? In the middle of the street, Montreal, he's just like walking around, no microphone, no stage, no nothing, just like cracking jokes, doing stand up on the street, and there's a crowd gathering around them. But I think that confidence comes with a lack of fear and a comfort in knowing that you're just being yourself and you're you're not cheating anyone. Because a lot of people, especially DJs who are kind of starting out and uh, coming up, exactly like we were ta- what we were talking about earlier, where everything is so perfect it could almost be pre pre recorded. They strive for that perfection because they don't want to show anybody that they make mistakes and they have to be on point and they need to, uh, they can't ever fuck up. And But I think... It's com- it's competitive have- to the point of soullessness. Yeah, you know? like, like... Whereas somebody like Dave Chappelle, he's, he's an entertainer. He lives not necessarily for the money per se, but just off people's reactions. He, he says jokes to get a reaction and that we're all, you know, maybe we needed a couple more therapy sessions or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing, Yeah. but whatever it is, we didn't get enough approval from our parents. And so we go seek it from strangers and we live off making other people happy. There's songs about tears of a clown and all that kind of stuff, but you know, the Robin Williams of the world are, are they're really just living for the approval of people they don't know to bring more joy to the world because they know the world's a messed up place. Yeah. So a guy like Dave Chappelle who throws down on the street, it's the same as like a rapper who would like literally start a cipher out back because that's how they started. That keeps them sharp. And uh, there's a big difference between cocky. Being cocky is sometimes being arrogant because you're actually insecure. Whereas if you're confident, you know you have a gift and you're here to share it with the world and you're the only one that could stop people on the street. And with your theatrical voice, like yeah. draw them in and, and make it just, just for your own amusement. Because you, if you know if you can't do that on a street corner, you can't do it in a stadium. Yeah. And it's like testing yourself. Like, yeah, can you, that's it. Can you jump in the icy water? Can you eat the frog? It's, it's being able to fail and having the, the confidence in your own ability that that doesn't define you, that, yeah, it happens from time to time. You're not ever going to be, you're never going to bat 100%. You're never going to crack every every home run. Like, it's every single experience is a learning experience. And when you fail, it's like you just kind of take it on the chin and you go again to the next one and you make the correct adjustments uh, given from what you've learned from the last experience and you just go with it and try and make again make it better and better and better and better exactly the same way. And I think that a lot of people, because of these these people these big name artists who are playing on like digital and uh, who are playing these very clean perf- perfectionist tracks and perfectionist sets, they don't have that understanding that it's okay to make mistakes. It's how you deal with the mistakes that really matters and defines you. And, uh, as an artist anyway and it allows you to evolve and get better and continue working towards that ultimate goal of i want to be the best that i can be right or at least try to suck a little bit less every year that's one of yeah. my goals <laughs> <laughs> if i can suck one percent less each day i'll be toronto's less least suckiest dj <laughs> not the worst not the worst one i'm sure you're far from that right now i mean there's some there's some struggling ones out there. Well, 
Yeah, I, I was there too. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I remember I didn't even have, uh, I had, I, I didn't even have headphones. I worked at a restaurant because they had turntables and Sirwin Vegas on both floors. And so I go in and, and record my mixes. And I, this is before, like, well, there were CDs, I guess, but it was still like you record on a cassette deck in the late 90s. And I, I cooked at this restaurant so I could be around the turntables. I couldn't afford them yet. I kept my records in my, where all my cl uh, chef's clothes were and i'd go in early and make a mixtape and then while i was doing all my preps and cutting up my carrots and celery and doing my cuts and chops i'm listening back to my cuts and chops on the turntables <laughs> uh, like so the cutting board and the like being in a kitchen chopping and cutting and cooking and all that is very similar to like all the different things that you you know the spices and stuff you put in your mix and how you blend everything together so cooking and that was very tied together uh from uh from like just trying to get access to equipment yeah yeah and that was i guess that was what, what you had to do is just get access to the equipment and put the time in and that's what everything is like nobody's very few people are good at something right off the bat it takes a lot of time a lot of patience and it takes it takes honest self-reflection as well you got to be able to like when you're listening back to the mixtape or there's something that's not quite right you can't sit there and dwell on it, but you also can't let it pass by. You got to acknowledge it and go, "Hey, you, like have the kind of self-respect to go. That could be better. How am I going to make it better? Like instead of just because there's, a, I know a lot of people. I've heard a lot of mixes from people who tell themselves that they're amazing and they're the best thing since sliced bread. And you're like, but you're not. Like you could get so much better. Like you just can't be honest enough for yourself to do it like well any any performer that really is top level they know they have to record video and listen uh, and watch back to it so from james brown to prince on down they would want to see their tape at the moment they got off stage and they're like give me five james brown would say to his bass player because he missed one note or he'd take five bucks off your paycheck it was a lot of money back then right yeah um but yeah, uh, all the training I've done, like for MC training and DJ training, a lot of it is to record video of yourself. Like, are you slouched over and all grumpy and like looking like you're having no fun at all? Like, because that's contagious. You could do that for any service job is record video. And that's often what your boss is doing at work, watching you on camera to see if you're smiling or looking like a prick or not. Yeah. But like, how do you know if you suck if, as performers, if we don't record ourselves, record our mixes or record video of us actually performing, how do we know our performance doesn't suck if we're the only one out of everybody in the room that doesn't know what our experience feels like? We're yeah. literally cooking for the room and never tasting the food. Like, how do you know it's not too salty? Like, yeah. How do you know? Like, so a dance studio, for example, they always have mirrors in dance studios because then you can you can hear your coach's voice in your head, like pulling your body up and making you. Oh, right. Yeah. Like something something I learned from DJ Hapa, who's like somebody who's run one of the DJ schools in L.A. was posture, which was the same thing I'd heard about Robert Fripp from King Crimson about guitar playing is what's the most important thing about guitar playing is posture. You have to. You know, but sometimes DJs are just so hunched down over the thing and they look like Frankenstein in a cave and they're not they're not looking at the audience. They're not giving themselves to the audience and they don't have a connection. They wonder why they can't get everybody dancing or people leave early or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that is your spot on there as well. Like that was another big thing when I was 
a little bit younger there. I'd done a lot of coaching, this, like football or soccer and like basketball and things like that. And that was the kind of big thing is even when, especially with a team sport or when you're taking a session and you want everyone to gather around and be involved and listen to you, if you're just like shutting yourself down and shutting yourself off and kind of, or turning your back to people and they're not going to pay attention to you. They're too busy twiddling their thumbs or like playing, like trying to like dribble the balls low to the ground as they can possibly get it. Or they're like hitting their friend or whatever it's going to be. Like if you're there and you stand in front of them and you present yourself like, Hey, like you got to listen to me. I'm talking. This is my time. Like take command of the show. Yeah. Yeah. People, people feel the connection and they want to come in. They're drawn to you. They want to come in and listen. They want, they see that you're also paying attention to them. It's not just a, a sense of I'm here to do this job and I don't care what all you guys think. I'm going to make sure that I do this. Well, like even like a rock concert or something, like I'm sure you remember like the, the most crazy moment of any performance you've ever seen is when the guy climbed up on the speakers and the light hit him and he looked like he was going to climb so high. And then everybody's like, you're really just making the spectacle of yourself and giving yourself to the audience. Like it might be silly or whatever, but as opposed to like, you know, people like hiding, hiding behind their laptop and putting all this equipment and like, even with our facades of the DJ table, I'm telling you what, I have it all open. So I find a lot of DJs hide the bottom half of their body, but as a performer, you should be showing that you're, if you're on stage, you should be showing your fancy footwork or that you know how to wear nice, pants that fit you properly that or that your feet like you're you're even if you're just tapping your foot you're showing that you're happy to be there and that's something that's contagious that gets people dancing because if you're dancing before the crowd then when somebody goes on the dance floor they're not the first person dancing you're the first person dancing always but if you're hiding behind all this crap then you know they're not you're not you're being cowardly with your audience and so yeah. that's why sometimes even like disclosure or whatever, they have these setups, but they make sure that they're, you know, it's all open. So you can kind of see through that. You see them from head to toe that they're, they're giving themselves to the audience. Yeah. I know. I noticed that too, too often DJs or people. I, I remember I saw Prefuse 73 play once at Lee's palace. He's like a, I think he was signed to warp and he made a whole bunch of like fidget electronica that was cool beats at the time but it was literally watching him on his laptop and he was wasn't moving he was on stage and i'm like oh my god this is the most boring show i've ever been to he literally could be playing press space bar and playing back a pre-recorded thing and be like up there doing his taxes or scrolling his facebook feed right now i really wouldn't be able to tell the difference at all like it was I, the, his music's amazing, intricate stuff. He may have edited on a Facebook. We literally was just probably playing something back on Ableton or sequencing it, but it was like the worst stage show I'd ever seen. It was like watching your accountant do his taxes on stage. <laughs> and I was like, but then that made sometimes by seeing something that bad, I was like, right, you're supposed to. Yeah, you're supposed to be involved. You're supposed to. Well, you're there, right? You're you're in charge of the the music. You're you're making this event happen. You got to lead the dance as well. You got to be the. You got to be the kind of. You got to be the Pied Piper. You got to play the music. You got to get the people involved. You got to yes. be there leading the charge. You can't show showman and shaman's kind of the same word, yeah. right? And or show it's, woman. <laughs> it's it's different. It's kind of like uh, 
I don't know if you've saw any of the things. It's like the difference between uh, a leader and a boss. A boss tells you what to do. A leader shows you how to do it. Yeah, and, like, and, le- and leaders create leaders too. Yeah. So it's a, it's a chain reaction when you see someone up there that's enjoying the set, that has a confidence to show they've got a little bit of energy to it and try and encourage you and make you feel that you're not alone and you can you can be involved and it's not something that uh, you just need to stand there and listen to the music and hold your beer, stand in the corner and whatever it is. Like, it kind of... It, it gets everything going and it allows you to... It works in your favour because then down the line, you can I get control of the energy of the room? Like, you're not well, just... They, they, they say active is attractive, right? So, like, by... By using your body and being active, you, uh, you know, you're, uh, where are you sneaking off to? You smoke, like, you may as well just smoke on camera. <laughs> oh, wish. Oh, wish. What, you, I, what is it? You just making sure it's recording? Or? Yeah, I'm just making sure the camera's still running and it's not uh, died on me here because oh, okay. I'm, I'm without a cameraman this week. So, right. Okay. I, you're doing two jobs for the price of one. Yeah. 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 No, I, I think, uh, I think that is half the battle is, is putting on a show and uh, being able to give people the confidence to get involved with everything. Because if you don't have anybody involved with you, they're not going to come back. They're just, you're good. It's it's a primal thing too. Like to be to be active is like, you know, you take me back to art school and like all the signs signified signifier like um, ideas we had with, uh, you know, the way the human mind works and that to see somebody like if we were all like caveman back in the day and there was one guy who was dancing the hardest at the, at the dance, we're all banging on the rocks or whatever, making beats or singing, whatever music, the one that's got the most crazy dancing, basically what they're saying is that they have all of their needs met so much. They got extra food. They got extra clothing and you know what I mean? that they have extra energy to spend because they have so much sexual energy and prowess and endurance that they can waste time dancing like a fool all night, every night because they have so much energy because they're so successful and that they don't have to save it up for some big battle. They got their butt kicked in or trying to take down the woolly mammoth or whatever. So it's like this primal thing that if somebody's active, that they're attractive and that there's something that they're doing that's working, that's successful because they're energetic and that they're, they're crushing it because they can waste time like dancing around like, like you know? Yeah, no, you're so it's like a primal thing, right? So if performers are up there like, you know, looking like, like bored or like, oh my God, there, I saw, we did motion ball with like Scratch Bastard and a bunch of artists. And I, um, uh, the next year we, he played again and I was on the bill, but there was another act that got there and it was two, two girls. Let's just say that they're sisters. They're a bit more like, nothing against the ladies or nothing, but they were just a bit more of like scene stir on Instagram and Twitter. And they weren't really DJing that much. And they were, they didn't show up to their sound check, which was like another, like, you know, my heroes were on that bill and they all showed up early and made sure their stuff was sound checked. They didn't even know how to plug in their own DJ gear. And then, and then I had to go and help them and show them how to plug in the gear and make sure that they were comfortable to do their show. But they also didn't notice that there was an overhead camera with a big video screen. So instead of them actually DJing, 
you can see a shot of overhead shot of what they're actually doing, but they didn't even clue in that their performance was including all of their motions. So they were both touching their phones like two or three times as much as the actual DJ equipment. So like their show was to show it on social media and just like kind of place it like it didn't suck, but it just was like they didn't take a moment because they hadn't been to sound check to look at what they're there was two of them too. It wasn't like it was just one person. Like one of them could have played and the other one could have gone in and, and had the other one six, if you know what I mean? Like no. they could have, they could have tasted the food because there was a two person show, but something really clicked in for me that night because they were just so into what they were doing on their phones. They didn't even realize that their phone, they were making their phones more the performance and it was like boring. And they, they cleared the room and their set ended early and they had to switch up to the next thing or whatever. Um, But sometimes you, you have these moments where you see something go horribly wrong and you're like, right. Because it, because it matters. You gotta be energetic and look like you're having fun. If you're like, this is your performance. Like, I don't know with my, with my people on my team, I, you can touch your phone. Just go tuck around the corner. Don't ever do that. On You touch your phone on stage. I'll slap it out of your hand yeah. and like don't ever eat or drink on stage unless it's a water. But if you're if you're drinking or eating, you're basically saying I'm taking care of my selfish needs as opposed to serving the audience. Yeah. So as soon as you like yawn, pick your nose, check your phone, bite a sandwich, chug a beer on stage like that actually is your show now. You like think they can't see you? Like do all that stuff. Just tuck around the curtain and then come back out. Like the only pass to that rule would be: Have you ever saw the video of uh, who was it? Joseph Capria. He played. It was almost a twenty-four hour set, and he's got he got someone to bring him a bowl of spaghetti. He's playing in Naples, and he's mixing the next track in with one hand and just shoveling spaghetti in his mouth in the next hand because. He can't leave the booth because he's playing 24 hours straight. So he's got to get his meals in as well. And he's like, he's like trying to get his headphones on and off. He's still got the fork in his hand. You're That's hilarious. Like, well, then so that becomes the story. Then that is his performance, right? Yeah. There's like Keb Darge, uh, the Scottish DJ, the Northern Soul DJs. I don't yeah. know. He's a legend in Scotland and UK, but uh, he'd play Roxy Blue all the time. And the start of his set, he'd be like, get me a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's play, he'll play a 12 hour set and he won't move and he's drinking beer the whole time. It's got to go somewhere. Uh, but Sam, it's been a pleasure speaking to you here. I think we're running quite close to, I think we're way over an hour now. Yeah. I'm sorry to stop you. It's, no, not at all. Thanks for having me, Charles. It was fun. No, it's been a pleasure. I mean, I think we could just sit and talk here for hours and hours on end and uh, I'm sure we'll have another one of these hopefully next time in person hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be doing this uh, doing this together here well, in Saskatchewan you, soon yeah we'd love to come out there and uh, if you get us down uh, if you get to Toronto 937 Bloor at Piston at the Piston at uh, Bloor and Ossington Wax Candy Disco hopefully we'll be firing that up uh, before the end of the year uh, with any luck so uh and yeah, then Disco Disco National uh, with an E on the end on Instagram, both of yep. them on uh, Wax Candy Disco. And yeah, stay in tune there. And uh, I'm at twitch.tv backslash F Sharp. It's E F S H A R P. Perfect. You can also find uh, all of Sam's stuff on Instagram as well. And we'll be sharing all the links in the description of this video. So make sure to go down there, check all of Sam's stuff out. 
And again, if you haven't yet, go and check out his mix. That was posted on SoundCloud on Friday. Um, so if you haven't went and checked that out, make sure you do it because it's an absolute banger. I can already guarantee that. And uh, no, thank you very much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for uh, giving me your time and uh, giving me the opportunity to sit down and pick your brain a little bit here. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll stay in touch and we'll get something sorted as soon as I'm out in Toronto, as soon as I can can leave here. Right on. Well, glad to hear you're healthy again. And uh, yeah, here's to 2021 and beyond. Once again, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Little House in the Prairie podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure to go and check Sam's mix out. It's live on a SoundCloud now. Also, massive shout out to Pale Studios and Kamikaze Design for their continued support over the last 12 weeks. It means the world to me. And also, for you guys who are watching at home, make sure to keep your eyes peeled and pay attention to our social media. We're going to be doing another giveaway in the coming weeks here. So we're very excited about that. And you could be in with the chance of winning one of our prizes. Thank you and God bless.